Welcome to The Important Part, Investing with Liz Young. I'm Liz Young, Head of Investment Strategy at SoFi, here to help cut through the large amount of information out there about investing and get to the important part. With the help of my guests, you'll gain valuable insights, new perspectives, and the knowledge to confidently make your investment decisions. Welcome back, everybody, to The Important Part. We sit here almost halfway through 2022, and shockingly, inflation is still high. (laughs) Seems like the story that won't go away. But this is the time in the year when we start to see mid-year outlooks from a bunch of different companies, a bunch of different voices, and we start comparing the first half to the second half. I haven't released my outlook yet. There will be one for the second half of the year. But spoiler alert, I do think the second half is going to be better than the first half. And that's probably good news, given that the first half has been quite painful. We're not done with it yet, but we are getting closer. And some of the things that I think we're still dealing with and that we've gotten actually some new information on over the last few weeks is that some of the really strong links in the economy that we'd been depending on to keep us out of recession or keep us in the green, things like the consumer, consumer spending, earnings, those started to break down. Now, I want to be very clear that just because they started to break down does not mean that we are surely headed for a recession. It is possible to have a cooling without a recession. And frankly, we've talked about inflation needing to slow down In theory, we've talked about what needs to happen in order for that to occur. We need demand to slow. We need there to be a better balance between demand and supply. And now this is how it's happening in practice. So looking at the balance between demand and supply, you've got some demand slowing. We got earnings from a few really big retailers that not only was inflation biting into their bottom line, but that consumers had started to change their spending patterns. So this is a really important thing to watch. Now, it can sound really scary. It can sound like, oh my gosh, the consumer is going to get hit and now corporate earnings are going to get hit. How can we avoid a recession? When really there's a pretty big buffer there on consumer spending and it was quite strong coming into this period of the year. So we can have a little bit of a pullback without going completely negative. Now, the other thing I would say is we all know that the first quarter GDP came in negative, which sounded the alarm bells. Everybody thought, oh my gosh, that's the sign. That's that's it. We're going to go into a recession because the definition of a recession is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP. So that means if we have another negative quarter for Q2, that would be a technical recession. Now, I don't want to make excuses for why GDP was negative in the first quarter, but it was negative because of a trade drag. So a drag from trade, meaning we imported more than we exported and a drag from less government spending. So if you look into the second quarter, as long as those two things don't create as much of a drag and the consumer doesn't completely turn and go negative, we shouldn't have a negative GDP print in the second quarter. Now, of course, anything is possible. I have no crystal ball. That could turn out to be the wrong take. But the consumer is what drives the American economy. And the consumer has been what we've been hanging our hats on as strength. Now, just because there's been some cooling, that might mean that inflation starts to come down through the late summer months into fall and into later in the year, which would be ideal. Then that means the Fed doesn't have to be as aggressive. We might start to hear a different narrative. 
So when you think about some of those forces, if we get a good amount of cooling without contraction, that's the key here, we want cooling without contraction, then we see inflation come down, the Fed can take its foot off the tightening gas pedal a little bit, and the second half can be less bumpy than the first. The one wild card still out there is midterm elections. That's going to happen, obviously, in the second half of the year. The market typically does not like a midterm election cycle. Usually it struggles because of uncertainty, not knowing who's going to be in control in Congress. Usually it struggles late summer, early fall, and we see volatility in that period. And then we see a little relief after the election is over. And much like any other election cycle, doesn't matter a ton who ends up in control. It's a matter of just getting it behind us and having certainty about what the path forward might be. Having said all that, I am really excited to bring you this episode. We focused on the consumer this time, and we focused on consumer spending, some of the shifts that we've been seeing in consumer spending, and whether or not they are a signal for perhaps the next six to 12 months in the economy. So there's some great insight here from a woman named Kristen Gall, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Kristen Gall is the president of Rakuten Rewards, formerly Ebates. Under her leadership, Rakuten Rewards experienced 20% year-over-year growth in revenue and significantly expanded its membership base. With more than 20 years of experience in e-commerce and retail, Gall has led growth in revenue and profitability for large and mid-sized digital, vertical, and wholesale retail companies. She started her career at Gap Inc. in an executive training program and progressed through roles in business management and merchandising with Gap and Levi Strauss. Gall has also held leadership roles at Old Navy, Leapfrog Enterprises, and Z Gallery. All right, let's get to the interview. Hi, Kristen. Thank you for joining me today. I'm so happy to be here, Liz. Thanks so much for having me. So the consumer is top of mind for so many people, but for a bunch of different reasons. I think we keep talking about it right now as a part of the economy that continues to be strong it's what's holding us up. It's what's keeping us out of out of disaster. For me, I'm actually starting to think about it as maybe one of the last shoes that's going to have to drop before inflation falls. So I think that this is a really timely episode. You are a very timely guest. And I want to make sure, first of all, that our listeners know what you do and, and have a little bit of an idea of what Rakuten is. So if you could just give us a quick overview of the company and your role at the company, that would be amazing. Sure. So I work for a company called Rakuten Rewards. Rakuten is actually a big Japanese company, often referred to as the Amazon of Japan. They are in about 70 different businesses in Japan. But in the United States, our primary business is an online cashback loyalty website. So we have got about 14 million members who shop through our Rakuten portal, who shop through our platform. We partner with about 3,500 different retailers across the United States. All of the big retail names that you know are are pretty much on our platform. And what we do is we act as a marketing intermediary. We pay our customers cash back to shop through our portal. We drive a lot of traffic to our retailers and our retail partners win because they gain shoppers, they gain eyeballs, they gain exposure. Our members win because they get cash back on all of their purchases that they make through our platform. So it's basically this really cool 20-year-old win-win-win value prop where all of our consumers are rewarded for doing all of the things that they do, all of the shopping that they do, and our retailers are rewarded with the traffic that they need and the volume that they need. Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't like to be paid to shop? (laughs) I'd like to to be paid to shop. (laughs) 
it's a no, it's really a no brainer. And, you know, it continues to be a very important part of American life to have a 20 year old company still growing at the rate that we're growing and still sort of gaining members at the rate that we are. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, that sounds great. And there's so much to cover in that. But let's start with, you mentioned all the retail partners that you have. So actually this week, and by the time this releases, this will be a couple of weeks in the past, but we just got retail sales data this week, which is one of the big indicators of the economy, the strength in the consumer. And it came in pretty solid. So you could look at that and say, okay, the consumer is not showing any signs of weakness, not showing any signs of stopping in the face of inflation. You've been in a consumer-oriented business for a long time, a various number of consumer-oriented businesses for a long time. So you've seen a few different cycles. What is your sense for where we are right now in the consumer spending cycle, maybe the consumer sentiment cycle? Here's the weird thing. You would assume, given the inflation, and you would assume, given the consistent inflation over the last few months, that we would have a downtrend in consumer spend. And it's funny because we were watching this. So January was great. February was even better in terms of retail sales. And then March fell off a little bit. And we were all like, ooh, March is really tough. Does this mean April is going to be tougher? And April, in fact, went up from March. So I think the very strange thing is, is you would assume that consumers would be significantly more impacted by inflation. And what we're seeing is that, by and large, they're not. And I think there are a number of things contributing to that that we're looking at. The first is the pandemic savings rate was really aggressive. So a lot of people have money in the bank and a lot of people have money banked up that they didn't spend on goods, services, restaurants, travel during the pandemic. And it's contributing to this like artificial inflation of you know, what we would say would be just sort of consumer spend sentiment. Consumer confidence is very low. Consumer confidence, I think in the month of March was at the lowest point since 2013. So it's not like consumers are like, yay, the economy is amazing. I'm going to spend money. I think it's more, screw it. I hated the pandemic. I'm going to spend money anyway. That's called revenge spending, right? That's what we're seeing right now. Revenge spending. Yes. So, and we've been talking about revenge shopping for about a year and a half. We definitely saw, you know, discretionary spend go a little bit nuts once vaccines hit. And it really has contributed to people continuing to spend their money in crazy ways on travel, on maybe a, you know, fancier handbag that we would normally than they would normally buy. We see luxury continue to just be like a freight train, which is really crazy in that, you know, the rich are still rich and they're still spending a lot of money. I think the interesting thing is this, though. It's how long can it be sustained? Right now, it's being sustained by savings. It's being sustained by home equity. It's being sustained by credit card debt, which is up significantly year over year if you look at the numbers in terms of people you know, putting things on credit cards. The other thing is this proliferation of buy now, pay later is a bit of a wild card in this world of like, I can't afford it, but I sort of can now because I can pay in installments. And that I think those four things are really contributing to this sort of unbridled optimism and spending that really shouldn't be there. Yeah. Okay. So I, I don't even know where to start with that. I have so many things to say. Um, <laughs> and I won't spoil my own note for this week because I, so I drop a column every Thursday morning and I just wrote it today, right before we recorded this. And in that column, which will be out by the time this podcast is out, so no spoiler, but in that column, I actually made a chart of consumer credit and showed that there has been a huge increase in revolving credit and non-revolving credit. And I actually also just looked at 
what the savings level is because we came into this and the argument from everybody, self-included, was consumers have built up $2.5 trillion in savings. They are going to spend like they've never spent before and there's all this pent-up demand and that proved to be correct. But to your point, it started to really get unleashed when vaccines came out. Now we're a year and a half past that, right? We're a year and a half past that announcement of vaccines. So they've been spending for the better part of a year and a half. And the savings level, the way that it's measured, went from $2.5 trillion to $2.4 trillion. <laughs> And that's as of the end of March. So it hasn't, it hasn't fallen dramatically. But what's interesting is that if you look at the savings rate, it's back down below pre-pandemic levels, which means that people are spending more than their income is making up for. So their spending has increased at a faster rate than their income has increased. So there's been some offsetting of the fact that wages have increased over this period as well, which is great, and that allows consumers to absorb inflation. But to your point, how long can this last? And, and I fear that the consumer will be the next thing to, to show some weakness or we'll start to see some of this turnover. And I actually think that it's going to start turning over in May Let's rewind, though, and go through this period. So you watched this all happen in real time, right? You watched this go into a pandemic, and then people start to emerge. What were some of the spending patterns that you saw happen as we came out of it? Now, I think the assumption is that the spending patterns were people bought a bunch of stuff, and they didn't really buy services. And now they're starting to buy more services. So what can you tell me about that side of the equation? Yeah, I mean, I think exactly what you said. So immediately we saw discretionary spending go up on goods. And by goods, we're talking about non-pandemic categories. Obviously, during the pandemic, categories like home, sports, electronics, those were the ones that were really driving consumer sales. We saw that flip immediately. It was apparel, it was shoes, it was beauty and cosmetics. It was all of the things that you would assume as people sort of are emerging into hot back summer that that was you know that was a thing where they were out in the world again and we very what much did you call it hot vax summer hot vax summer you haven't heard that term was that last summer that was last summer that was like wow. gonna be the summer where like everyone was out I I don't think I've ever heard that before I kind of love oh. it I'm sad that I missed it at the time I would have <laughs> loved to use that all summer. Okay, sorry, go on. <laughs> no, it's okay. I, and then I think, you know, so we, it's funny because we saw that start to happen over the summer and then Omicron hit and we assumed it would stop and it did not. People continued to spend. It was as if there was sort of a spigot release where people were like, ooh, my clothes are terrible. They're super outdated. I've been in sweats. I hate everything I own. My mm -hmm. kids outgrew their clothes. And we really did see across all discretionary spending areas things started to tick up. And interestingly enough, while Omicron was going on, we started to see restaurants start to come up. We started to see tickets start right. to come up. We did start to see travel come back because there were a group of people who were like, I don't really care about Omicron. I'm done. I'm good. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to go out into the world. And I think that that's really what we've seen in earnest since then is it really is about travel. It really is about experiences but with this undercurrent of, but I still need the stuff to go do that. I got to look good to go to my concerts. Exactly. I got to be wearing the right outfits when I go to Palm Beach or, or wherever people are going. That's exactly right. So, you know, I mean, those pandemic categories that were really good are starting to fall a bit. You're starting to see weakness in home. 
you're definitely starting to see weakness in sports and in electronics because people bought all that stuff. Right. So the question is, is, you know, I mean, if you look at inflation, obviously it's gas, it's travel, you know, are in the thirties and it's insane. Mm -hmm. Apparel is like four to 5% up. So this world where inflation hasn't necessarily hit that space yet, that's the space that we have to watch because companies haven't raised prices aggressively yet. And I say yet. On apparel. On apparel because their margins are hit. Everything's more expensive for them. Transportation is a mess. Supply chain is a mess. They haven't necessarily aggressively passed that on to the consumer yet. But what you're seeing in earnings is margins are really, really challenged in a lot of these big retail companies. And obviously, the Amazon earnings release was sort of the big news of the moment a few weeks ago. But you are starting to see margins decline because of all of these problems on the supply side. And inevitably, what that will mean is that will turn into, to your point, I am, I feel like May is sort of when the other shoe drops as well, where you start to really see that passing through to the consumer. Companies can't react that quickly, right? It takes a long time to re-sticker all your sweaters or to deal with, you know, changing the price on all of your shoes. But once they sort of get into the rhythm of we have to do that, I think you'll start to see it happen in earnest. And that's where consumers will start to feel it aggressively on the discretionary side. Yeah. Speaking of restickering sweaters, my first job ever was at JCPenney and I had to resticker a lot of stuff. <laughs> yes, you did. There was a lot of stickering. It takes a long time, as does putting stuff away from fitting rooms. But I digress. One of the things that I also talked about in the note this week and that we know as investors is that the market leads economic data lags, right? So when we're talking about what the stock market is doing today, it's usually trying to forecast what it thinks is going to happen in the economy. We get economic data, and it's about what happened last week, last month, last quarter. So it's always a lag, and there's this gap between what the market is doing and when the economic data catches up to it. So you've mentioned there's been a slowdown in sports, a slowdown in electronics, and a slowdown in home. I assume when you say home, you mean home goods, that sort of stuff? Home goods, home furnishings, sofas. So can we look at that as a leading indicator of maybe other parts of the market that could see stress if they haven't already? I mean, home builders have seen a ton of stress already, but talk to me about something like sports. Where do you think would be the next leg of a downturn in that kind of sports area? Are we talking about sports apparel? And and then what's next after that? Yeah, we're talking about sports apparel and shoes. And I mean, if you think about the pandemic, all of those categories that I just mentioned went crazy during the pandemic. If you look at a three-year trend line of all of those categories, they're still up from 2019. And that's really the interesting message is it's that they're down from their pandemic peaks and it's this cooling of pandemic demand. If you look at 2020 as a big blip on the trend line, what you're really seeing is, okay, the trend line still goes you know, down to up. They just had this weird blip that now they're all trying to comp and they're down a little bit from their pandemic peak. But it's still, they're still strong and spending there is still strong. So I think what's what it's indicative of is more just where consumer demand and where consumers' heads are, not necessarily that, okay, there's a massive cooling that signifies sort of a problem in that area. That has more to do with really how those categories acted during the pandemic. Yeah. Well, and you know, the other thing too is you mentioned it takes a while 
for businesses to react. But you know what? It doesn't take a very long time for consumers to react. And I think that's what puts a lot of companies on their heels during times when the consumer finally says, you know what? Okay, enough. I don't want to spend another 18% month over month in airfare anymore. I'm not going to buy that plane ticket. I'm going to drive there or I'm not going to go. We're going to do a staycation, right? And I think that we are approaching the time or maybe we're in it right now. We just haven't seen the data yet because economic data lags that consumers are having to make those tough choices or they're having to change their vacation decisions because of the cost of the one that they originally wanted to go on. And this is anecdotal. I've used this example a couple times, but in the last couple of weeks, I've been on a number of airplanes and every single seat was full. There was not an inch of space in the overhead bins and airfares up 18% month over month, 33% year over year. There were people in line by me complaining about how much they spent for economy tickets. Mm -hmm. But the reality of it is they still spent it, right? They still bought the tickets. So couple that with okay, it hasn't it hasn't necessarily eroded demand at this point. People are still spending it, but they're going to run out of that spending. Or they're going to put it all on credit cards and realize, uh-oh, my credit card is now at a balance that I don't really want to manage, so we're going to have to stop spending so I can pay this down. So you can see sort of the domino effect of this. Now, I think the the biggest question, though, is obviously inflation is the fear du jour or the the topic du jour both for consumers and for businesses. 85% of S&P companies mentioned inflation as a concern in the last earnings season. I actually question what the other 15% were talking about. (laughs) But anyway, um, when you think about inflation from Rakuten's perspective, how has it affected your business? Is this something that actually makes your business stronger? Do you get more traffic from it or, or is it a challenge? That's, I mean, the nice thing about Rakuten is that we weather economic downturns really well because we really are about people saving more money and we are about value and we are about, you know, getting more money back on the things that you're doing in your life. So, you know, what you will see in Rakuten is that in an economic downturn, we'll flip the script a little bit on our brand marketing from it's about the joy of shopping. It's about the sport of shopping. It's about the thrill of a value. And really go into, it's about saving you money. It's about a deal. It is about you getting the most value out of every dollar that you spend. And the very nice thing is we, you know, we saw this back in 2008, the business got really, really strong because more people are willing to sort of go an extra step to save more money. More people are willing to interact with things in different ways to save more money when the economy is tight. And, you know, given our proliferation within the retail industry and who we work with, we're working with all of the people that they want to shop with. And it's just a matter of maximizing value when it comes to economic downturns. So it's actually possible that your business would be a contra indicator. Mm-hmm. So as as your business increases, we should get more concerned. Is that fair? <laughs> right. <laughs> I think that is, that is fair. So, it, so is business fair. is good right now is what I'm, <laughs> I'm gathering. Well, I mean... It's interesting. Business is really good right now. You know, there is this world of people are spending more because of inflation. And that really trickles down into, you know, retailers are sort of getting more money, but there is a lower margin on that money. So Mm -hmm. there's this weird calculus right now of what does doing well mean in a world where, you know, if you say, okay, consumers are spending 50% more on airfare, but the price of airfare is up by 35%, they're not spending more on it. They're just, the price is higher. So the portion of that that's made up of inflation versus the portion of that that they're actually sort of, I want to spend more money on airfare, 
there's a very interesting split there. So, okay. So let's say though that you, because I know that you're, you're seasoned at this and watching the cycles, let's say that you started to see some signs or maybe you're seeing them already. You don't have to say that out loud. Just blink twice if that's the case. <laughs> but it, let's say you're starting to see some signs of weakness and you feel like, you know what? The cycle is turning or the cycle is ending. I think we're heading into a recessionary period. Would you change the way that you partner with retailers? Do you, Would you change the type of retailers on the platform? Do you make any changes at all? Do you shift the business at all? So if you look at the way that we manage this business, we're, we manage it like a portfolio. And the nice thing about a portfolio is that you always have people who are strong and you always have people that are weak. Our goal right now is to help all of our retailers navigate this in the way that they need us to help them navigate it. What I typically see in an economic downturn, and I've been in retail for so many years, and you know this is generally how it rolls. I, there's, there's something that's going to happen that's called the great trade down. I'm coining that phrase right now. That's my phrase. The great trade down. The great trade down. Okay. Right? So the great, what the great trade down means is that you may not see demand cool, but you may see people making different choices about how they spend. So a really good example of that is luxury has been going crazy over the last year and a half. And it's been going crazy for so many reasons. Number one, rich people are still rich people. But number two, there's actually this world where the middle class has been playing significantly more in the luxury space because of the proliferation of things like buy now, pay later, because people like influencers have made luxury look more attractive and more accessible there's a lot of growth happening in luxury in sort of different demographic spheres. But if you think about what could happen there, that great trade down means I used to buy, I was buying really expensive handbags. Maybe I'm okay not buying a $2,000 handbag. Maybe I'm okay with a $500 handbag. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm okay not buying my t-shirts from Gap and I'm going to go buy my t-shirts from Old Navy or Target instead. So this world of what was good before what's good enough now, that is what I see that is going to happen aggressively over the next few months. We yeah. saw this in 2008. I was working for Gap in 2008. And it was really interesting. I was actually working for the old Navy division at the time. And there was a huge trade down from sort of the Banana Republic Gap world down into old Navy because of the value that it provided and really, that portfolio for them was brilliant, where, you know, if Banana Republic was too expensive, you could move to Gap. If Gap was too expensive, you could move to Old Navy. And there was just a shifting of consumer demand that happened. And the beauty of, you know, our portfolio is that where we do give consumers the ability to play at any spend level that they want and at any tier that they want, meaning they can shift down from high-end luxury down into sort of mid-tier department stores. They can go from mid-tier department stores down into marketplace. And we really do give them the ability to flex that way. So we have tools for all of our retailers to, to sort of play and try and garner as much consumer spend as possible in that arena. Which space gets the most action? Which tier? During a downturn, marketplace will get a lot of action. And that's the lower, the lower spend. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about what happens, it becomes something that is very cost efficient for you. Yeah. And what gets squeezed in, in a downturn is the middle, is sort of the world of department stores, the vertically integrated specialty stores. That typically gets, you know, it gets a little bit tougher because those are the things where, you know, it's a little bit more of a luxury that you can't justify as much. And 
that may be where it gets a little bit more challenging if we sort of start to see this play out in a different way. You know, it's so interesting because I find myself thinking about how I've acted even in the last three to four months, just the awareness of inflation and seeing it hit places that I wasn't used to before. And I have definitely made different choices, right? I've, I've even made different choices at the grocery store where it's like, okay, do I, do I really need all organic veg- vegetables or the ones that I'm going to peel anyway? Can I just buy those the regular way, right? And the things that you try to save pennies on here and there. But what I find really interesting is the trade down. I think there are times in a consumer's life where you have to trade down because your lifestyle changed or something happened with your job or or whatever the case may be. Maybe the macro environment did affect you and it didn't affect everybody else or something like that. And you feel bad about having to make those trade down choices. In this environment, I actually get the feeling, and this is just from talking to friends, talking to people in my circle, in my professional space, I get the feeling that because we're all facing the same thing, those trade down decisions we're actually proud of. We're like, I feel like I'm getting away with something. I feel like I'm getting a good deal. and I'm going to brag about the fact that I got a good deal, right? Instead of feeling like, oh, I can't afford that anymore. And I am upset about it. It's more like, I'm actually proud that I started shopping at Old Navy instead of overspending on, you know, workout shirts or whatever it is. is do you get that same sense? I do. And, and, you know, it is interesting. If you think about categories like resale, which is exploding, yeah. That's another good example of people feel like they're gaming the system, right? It's like, I bought the YSL bag, but I didn't pay, you know, what those suckers are paying somewhere else, but I bought it. And they're able to engage in brands that they want to engage in that make them feel proud and good. But at the same time, number one, great for the planet, great for the environment. If you look at mm-hmm. millennials and Gen Z, that's the most important, you know, one of the most important considerations of where they shop. So it happens to be good in that sense, but it's also good in that you're getting what you want, but you're getting it at like a maximum value. And people are really, really like people who shop resale are really, really proud of the fact that that's where they shop and that's what they did because it's like you're gaming the system. And I I do feel like there is a component of that, which is number one, do I really care where I buy my t-shirts, those sort of commoditized items I'm going to go buy them at Target. I don't really care. Like, I don't need to pay $75 for a t-shirt. But at the same time, there is this world where people do want to play in brands and they do care about what they wear and the types of things that they're wearing. Resale is a brilliant strategy for that. And that, I mean, if you look at where the explosive growth in the industry is coming from, that's going to be explosive growth over the next five years. And I I can only think that this is, you know, brilliant. This is going to be a brilliant year for them. Yeah. 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 Well, and so everybody that's listening who's an investor, and Kristen is not here to give investment advice, but this is an investing <laughs> podcast. And I hope that that you're kind of listening to these comments and thinking about the spaces in the market that could either benefit or get squeezed over the next six months. And let's say even six months to a year and looking at your own portfolios and trying to gauge whether or not you're exposed in the right places. And this idea of the consumer being invincible and bulletproof uh, is is not real. At some point, if we want inflation to fall, the consumer does have to cool off demand in certain spaces. Now, you've touched on luxury versus discount a little bit, but one of the things that I thought while you were mentioning that is, you know, you said I think you said something like rich people are still rich, right? 
That's true. And I, I would imagine that luxury doesn't get hit quite as hard as middle or or discount retailers in a downturn. However, wealthy people have more of an eye and more of their money probably invested in the stock market. And we're at a point in the cycle where the NASDAQ has seen almost a 30% decline. The S&P has seen almost a 20% decline. Those are pretty deep drawdowns compared to what we've been used to over the last two years. That's got to affect wealthy people and their spending habits. So I guess the question that I would have for you is, at what point does it affect that? When when do you see that start happening? And what's the depth of that effect? So let's say lower spenders really cut back on spending in a downturn. Maybe wealthy spenders or high-end retailers get a 10% reduction in, in spending. What's the gap between the two? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a longer lag time and a longer tail there. It takes wealthy people longer to react because they've got a little bit more cushion. You know, if you're talking about the bottom of the market, you're talking about, do I buy this shirt or do I buy bread? You buy bread, right? Sure. If you're talking about wealthy people, you're talking about, okay, my portfolio is down. I feel very challenged. But there is this space where I've got a little bit of wiggle. Maybe I've been saving over the pandemic at a rate that others haven't. And really, that's where, you know, I mean, if you look at the savings rate, I would imagine if you sort of segmented out by, you know, demo in that way, what you would see is that the savings rate for the wealthy accelerated even more during the pandemic than the average bear. So, you know, there's Mm -hmm. more of a cushion there. There's more of a cushion in home equity because they typically are property owners and because, you know, property values have skyrocketed and it's been insane over the course of the last two years. So I think it'll take longer to reach it. And then the interesting thing is, is what happens there? And the question is, is does that great trade down start to impact luxury? It could Mm -hmm. impact it within its own portfolio, where you're talking about the Gucci's and the YSL's of the world may have challenges, but someone is trading down into what they consider to be more of an opening price point luxury. You know, some of the brands that, you know, are being sold that are a little bit more accessible, it may be that and it may be a matter of then frequency. So if you know, the leading indicators for me would be that average order value, which has been really, really huge and luxury really over the last year and a half, where that sustained average order value has been actually pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. But if we start to see that average order value drop and or frequency drop, that's when I would have sort of an indicator that tells me that all of these things have started to hit luxury in the same way. Have you watched the Gucci movie, House of Gucci? It was fantastic. I just watched it on on an airplane. Lady Gaga is amazing. She's one of my favorite people. Yes. Okay, last question. What are you most excited about in your business? What it, what that can be a retail space that can be uh, it can be something about the economic cycle. It can be whatever you want. But what are you most excited about over the last or the next three to six months? I mean, I think the thing that we're building in our business right now is this ability to really connect the right retailers with the right consumers in a really granular, targeted way that helps our consumers really get a good subset and sort of personalized experience around what they're shopping for and that they discover new brands and that they see things that they normally wouldn't see on our platform but that retailers have access to the consumers that are really going to have an affinity for them and that are really going to shop them and buy them. And that, you know, from a product perspective and from a strategy perspective, that's really where we're going is this, 
you know, we're matchmakers at the end of the day. We really want to match the right consumer with the right retailer, but to do it really aggressively and well in a way where there's a delightful personalized experience every time you come to our site is really what we're looking to do. It's what I'm most excited about. I love this industry. I'm always excited about this industry. I feel like, you know, Q1 and Q2 are usually super boring in retail. It's like, okay, we're going to get through our inventory from Q4. We're going to get some new summer goods in. This is like, it's batten down the hatches right now because it is constantly changing. And, you know, what I get most excited about is just really helping sort of consumers and retailers weather all of this well and create the right strategies that both on the consumer and the retailer side that that allow them to win, that maximize their value, that maximize the investments that they're making in the things that they're buying. And that's, you know, that's what gets me up. But this industry gets me up every day. I love it so much. That's great. Well, personalization is the name of the game going forward. So if you can figure that out, I think you're ahead of many. Thank you so much. I I mean, I could continue talking about this for days uh, and I want shopping tips from you now, but <laughs> I think that this was a, a perfectly timed episode and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. Thank you. All right. So some of the things that I really loved about that interview were just the insights that Kristen can share with us on the consumer that we may feel in our everyday lives, but we don't necessarily have the data or the large swath of information to back it up and say that everybody's feeling the same way. But it turns out that a lot of people are. And actually, one of the things that I found most interesting about it was when we talked about whether or not a company like hers is recession-proof. And if the intention is to help consumers save money, even in a downturn, a company like that does pretty well. And, And she indicated that the business had gotten really strong in 2008. So I found that fascinating. But some of the other things that we're still looking at are the revenge spending trend is still a thing. And at some point, that probably slows down. And that that what that's referring to is the revenge spending of coming out of COVID, finally being back into the economy and doing things. And just this idea of people wanting to do and buy everything that they can and that they've been prevented from doing for the last two years. So revenge spending has not slowed down yet. And one of the takes that she had was that demand may not cool, but consumers are going to have to make different choices about what they're spending their money on. And more specifically, she called it the great trade down. So again, making different choices, but the the demand is still there. The spending still happens. It's just that we start spending it on different things. Maybe we are more conscious of how much certain things in our daily lives cost. Maybe we make a different decision at the grocery store. Maybe we make a different decision when we're buying shoes. Maybe we make a different decision about the vacation that we're going to take. So the takeaway from that, actually, as an investor, is that it's going to affect different industries and different parts of the retail and consumer-driven industries differently. And you're going to see companies even maybe in the same industry. Some of them do really well and others do not so well. So this has now started a period of time where the macro environment certainly is driving us, but there's going to be clear winners and losers. That's my take, not her take, but there's going to be clear winners and losers because of the quick shifts in consumer behavior. And and some of the things that we've learned over earnings season is that companies can't react as quickly to a shift in consumer behavior as consumers can change their minds. So we're going to see and going to hear about 
some more of those forces at play in the economy. And then the last thing that I would say that we should watch for is that she mentioned the middle is what gets squeezed. So in a downturn, the middle spender is who gets squeezed the most. And we can watch for that in a lot of the data. That's that's typically the largest part of consumer data. So when you're looking at a pool of consumers, the middle is is the largest portion. And when we look at the data for the rest of the year, that's the part that I'm going to be keeping a pretty close eye on. What does consumer credit look like? What does retail spending look like at certain types of retailers? And those are the ones that are in the middle. So not necessarily the luxury segment, because the luxury segment still is pretty strong and tends to react later in the cycle. But what about that middle retail segment? And like I said, consumer credit when you look at the rise in revolving credit lately, we can see that consumers have started spending money on credit cards now rather than out of cash. So there are definitely some shifts going on. I hope to bring you more episodes about the consumer over the next few months because I think this is a really important topic and it is the most important thing to be watching in our economy to get a better feel for where we're headed. For more from me, check out my weekly column on the markets and economy every Thursday morning on the SoFi blog at SoFi.com slash blog. And follow me on Twitter for daily takes on the market at Liz Youngstrap. The Important Part is produced by SoFi in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Sarah Lee Kane, our producer, Brian Rivers, our production manager, and Jeff Emptman, our editor and sound engineer. SoFi can't guarantee future financial performance and past performance is no guarantee. This podcast should be used for informational purposes only and not deemed as a recommendation. Our automated investing is via SoFi Wealth, LLC, and is a registered investment advisor. Our active investing is via SoFi Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. For additional disclosures related to the SoFi Invest platforms, please visit sofi.com slash legal. 